Oye, eloeleros, I party. Tragos party, that is. The Tragos party games are here and they are the party games for Latinos. Created by a dynamic team of Latinas, Tragos Game and Get Loud, don't you love the name, were designed to connect Latinos of all generations and backgrounds, celebrating the similarities shared among all Latinos through hilarious gameplay. Whether playing Tragos, a drinking party game for adults, or engaging the whole familia in the competitive Get Loud, these games are guaranteed to bring fun to your holidays this year. Tragos Game and Get Loud are both easy to play and can be enjoyed with two or more players. And guess what, mi gente? They are available at all Targets nationwide and on Target.com. They're also accessible on Amazon. Go to Amazon and look for Tragos Game Also, look for the episode of Latinos Out Loud where we interview founder Carolina and head of marketing Aralis of the Tragos family. I party! Yo te lo dije. Yo, 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 yes, I'm hitting those notes. Oh, it's such a patriotic episode today. God bless you, Eloeleros. God bless America. God bless the Latinos Out Loud podcast. What's up, everybody? Yo, yo, what's good? It's Rachel La Loca. Yep, that's me. Hi, your friend to the end. I promise you. Do you want it in blood? Fine. AB positive. I'll put it in blood. I am your friend to the end. This is the Latinos Out Loud podcast, or LOL if you like acronyms. Wow, what a guest do we have today. Wowie, wowie, wowie. Okay, I'm going to sing so many patriotic songs today um, because I have this feeling of pride. Um, this guest is really incredible, amazing, has contributed so much to the fabric of this country, is now an author, and I think I should just introduce him because, like, I'm excited and I need to let it out. I need to let it out. Little does he know I have a giant American flag folded behind me, which I will unfold and wave at the end of this episode. Um, please welcome author, patriot, veteran of this country, Sergeant Aquilino. Hola. Hola, como esta? Mucho gusto por tenerme en tu, uh, en tu programa. Wow, okay, my Spanish is not that good, so I'll give you an answer in, in Spanglish. Okay. Um, un placer, el placer es mío. Uh, that's all I've got for now. <laughs> But I know this this is going to be a great interview. I have done my research on you. I've been wanting to, we've been trying to schedule this interview for quite some time now, okay. probably since last November, and then lo holiday, you know, oh, wow. lo holiday, <laughs> todo eso. But you're here now. I'm here. And he came with his books, which I'm so happy because everybody who reads out there, there's digital copies, there's Audible, there's all that stuff that's like the kids are using now. But then there's the good old-fashioned book, the hardcover, that jacket art, the books that are in both English and Spanish. So please, Sergeant Aquilino, can I call you Sergeant Aquilino yeah. or what should I call you? Whatever, you, it's easy for you. So. I like Sar Sergeant. Sergeant is fine. I mean, Eloeleros, when do you get the opportunity to call somebody sergeant? Uh, this might be the first for me, I think. I am confident to say that. Sergeant Aquilino, thank you for your service to this country. Thank you for coming on this show. Thank you for the, all the answers that you're about to share and the conversation we're about to have. I guess we should kick off this episode by not only talking about your memoir and this wonderful book that you have um, that you will be reading an excerpt from. So stay tuned. That's the little <laughs> little fishing rod <laughs> I threw out there. So you got to stay tuned to the end of the episode because it's going to be moving. Um, you were present at the Capitol on January 6th. Yes. You defended the country. There was a mob that attacked you in which you sustained injuries. Could you add some color to your experience and share with us what happened from your perspective on January 6th? Well, on January 6th, I was uh, um, doing my duties as a police officer, sergeant uh, at the Capitol. Um, and we find ourselves uh, being attacked by um, hundreds of Trump supporters on January 6th, uh, under his behalf, for his behalf. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we were a number overwhelmed, and uh, they breached the Capitol. But that did not stop us, the police officer, including myself, from doing our job or trying to do our jobs despite the, the odds. And um, to a certain point, we t succeeded because uh, no, none of those um, elected officials were injured. Uh, however, 
officers like myself, we did end up being injured. Can you share with us what those injuries were that you sustained? Um, the most severe ones, um, obviously, is uh, physical. Um, we're talking about uh, my right foot. Uh, I needed surgery uh, to uh, fuse uh, two of my toes. I were dislocated. Um, uh, my left shoulder um, was um, uh, injured as well. I needed uh, my rotator cuff, and tear, and also the uh, bicep needed repair. Um, both my hands were bleeding. I still had the scars on them. Um, and, you know, those are the most severe ones. There are other uh, lacerations, bruises, cuts that, you know, require minimum um, treatment, but nevertheless, it happened. The uh, mental health uh, side, then you had the PTSD trauma, which I continue to suffer from it. Uh, but then you also had the moral injury as well, which is not many people talk about it. Um, and, and that comes in play when s most of the elected officials from the Republican side, they continue to downplay what happened uh, or continue to justify uh, what transpired uh, and then turn around and tell us that they have our backs. And they don't have our backs if they don't want to hold anybody accountable for what happened. Um, and we, because we, we did what we were supposed to. And here they are, including last week and a couple of weeks ago as well. You had the leader of their party, which is the former president. And immediately, once he says something, then they're, they get their talking points from that and then continue to repeat it. Like you had the former president just saying a couple of days ago that the rioters, people who were attacking the police officers on January 6th are hostages uh, or patriots or peaceful uh, demonstrators, you know, if political prisoners. Those are the things, connotation that they are giving themselves, trying to change the narrative, trying to whitewash what happened. And I had to ask them this question, and this is coming from the, from the party of law and order, they claim to be uh, the party that followed the rule of law. And if those people are those things that they saying, like hostages and all, among other things, those people are those things, then what what is our role on January 6th? Were we the bad guys? Were we the one attacking the Capitol? Were we the one else trying to kill them? Because that's why they are letting me and my colleagues know that Regardless of what we did, regardless of what, what happened, we were the bad guy. The police officer are the bad guy because they're giving the connotations to patriots, political prisoners, hostages. Who are we? The sequesters, the hostage taker, the sicarios. You know, so it creates, uh, in not, not only does it, does it trigger the PTSD, but also aggravate the moral injury as well because we know we. As an officer, we were authorized to be there. We had the right to do the things we did. We so we defended them, and none of them would have made it to their refuge area had it not been because of the action that us, the police officer, did. Uh, I spent about roughly more than four hours in the tunnel area where the president normally comes out to get sworn in. And around those areas, that's where most of the safe areas are for, for them. So they were able to rush to those areas or leave the capital because the action that officers like myself did. And I paid the consequences for it. And now they're telling me that they, they side with the rioters and calling them hostages. That's, that's, that's insane because they would have died without our efforts. You went to work that morning... What time? What time? What's your routine? What time do you I got up at 4 o'clock. I got to work, like around 6.10. And I didn't go home until 3, 3 a.m. on January 7th. That was my question. Like, you went to work thinking it was going to be I mean, another day at the office, I mean, so they say. Normally, for, for those type of events, I, I, I work so many of them to know that it's going to be a long day, but... 
uh, when I say a long day, maybe 12, 14, 16 hours. Mm-hmm. Never in my life did I even think that it would be, you know, almost a day in, <laughs> in change, almost a full 24 hours. Um, and not only did I got home at 4 o'clock, I only slept two hours, and by 8 o'clock I was already back in the, on the road, despite my injuries. I have so many questions. Were you in riot gear when it started? Like, what yes. Was, okay, so you had to jump right into action. Yep. What, what was going through your head? What did you think was happening? Um, it dawned on me that it was going to be a long day, and it was. <laughs> um, you know, watching, I was watching uh, Rudy Giuliani, who's happened to be the former major here in New York, and back then when... He was major. Uh, he seems a little more reasonable in understanding about the policing role and and what we needed to do. But on January six, he 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 even enticed the crowd to incited the crowd to to rile up to come to the Capitol when he says, "Let's have trial by combat." It's a call to fight. It's a call to defy law and order something that he championed here in, in New York. So it was, I, find, I find it odd that the former major of New York was calling, using that type of rhetoric and language. Um, and around 105, I arrived at the west front of the Capitol, and I was fighting, immediately fighting with the mob because of most of the, my colleagues were already fighting with the mob, and they were being... Beating up, push, shove, tackle to the ground, pepper spray, throwing things at them. So there was not a lot of time for me, my uh, my a squad of roughly twenty five officers. By the time we arrived, we, didn't, we couldn't coordinate because we were fighting for our lives. Too. But prior to that, there was some sort of choreographed um, beginning to all of this. That this no, this... I mean this. It was to a certain point, but, you know, you have around that time, there was no breach yet because they, they gathered themselves a, a peace circle. Uh, 12.54, that's, I think that's when they started breaching the, the, the fences, the, the police line that we had um, on the West Front. And within a few minutes, there was a there was a urgent, urgent call on the radio saying, send all you got, send all you got. Uh, upon hearing that, then that's when I told my group, we got to go in. Because that was not even my area of responsibility. That was somebody else. Have you ever done drills or, like, I assume there's protocol in place for a situation like this? Or maybe I'm wrong. No, we, we, had, we had training before. Like, one of the things that, you know, we prepare ourselves for January 6th, just like we had done in the past. So many, many... Uh, First Amendment uh, right of assembly um, uh, events. And at no point in time did, did we have any uh, changes to it. I mean, there were, there might have been reports uh, online or on TV that there were potential um, things for, for violence, but nothing concrete coming from uh, our intel. The, intelligence uh, division and some of these things um, in my opinion I mean, well not my opinion I cannot change them unless it's coming from the high ups the upper brass uh, just like myself uh, like like my um, squad members lower the foot foot officers um, I'm one of them I had the same question the same uh, uh, concerns about what could possibly happen and but nevertheless I cannot all right, say, you know what, let's do this because it had to come from, from the people above me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you follow the chain command, great. If you don't, then that's, then that's something that you have to um, be conscious that you might be disciplined down the line. But we prepare ourselves just like any other day. Uh, we had everybody, anybody that was available uh, to work on that day, we, we did. Um, the only thing that we never imagined was um, our own fellow citizens taking 
and attacking the, the officer, attacking the Capitol. And that was concerning, disheartening that they were accusing us, the officer, of betraying our oath for political reasons, for keeping our jobs, for a paycheck, um, and, and accusing us of betraying our oath, which is insane because we actually were defending the capital from them. They were accusing us of things that they were doing, but yeah, they are accusing us of doing that. You know what I mean? So when you have members of of the mob actually attacking with the American flag and they accuse you, you desecrating your oath as you are defending the Capitol and the flag. That that kinda like makes it makes it harder for you to and and confuse you because I'm like I, I know I'm doing the right thing I know I'm doing my job but yeah you are attacking me for doing my job and and not only you attacking me attacking me for doing my job you attacking me because you're listening to that guy who's telling you what to do so you're not even you're not even thinking for yourself you're letting other people or another person tell you what to do Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you really dissected the moral element of that for me, which you're right, we don't always think about that damage. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can walk us through, because I, I tend to move chronologically. I wonder if you can walk us through the day after, so January 7th, to the time this book was conceptualized. What were those myriad of emotions that you felt? What were, what were some of the barriers that you had to get through because it does take courage to do this so yeah. i want to work our way up to this because i see that you're a very courageous man no i try i try i try to do the right thing and on january 7th when i woke up around seven o'clock um i barely had time to sleep barely slept an hour and a half or two hours um earlier when i got home i I couldn't sleep because I had so many chemicals on me. And by the time I took a shower, all those chemicals reactivated themselves. So my body and my skin were burning from oh the bear spray, pepper spray, um, ray spray, um, W40, you name it. All kinds of chemicals were on me. And not only did I have those things, but you remember COVID was ramping around that time. So we had some protocols going on. So not only was I dealing with those things, but then I had the physical injuries as well. And despite the injuries, I, I told my wife, you know what, help me, um, help me, I'm going to work. She thought I was going to, I'm uh, going to the emergency room. And I told her, no, I got to be back at the Capitol. And, at some point, during the conversation, I didn't remember until last year when she told me. She told me that she was um, encouraging me to go to the hospital, and I said no. And when she got mad, uh, according to her, I told her, no, you you knew me. You met me as a police officer. You knew what you were getting into. Um, and I don't remember that. Um, so she was pissed. And... She begrudgingly helped me get get my stuff set up, so I went to work. And I worked, despite my injuries, for 15 more days, uh, all the way to the 20th. Wow, with no treatment to your Not, injuries? I, I did went on the 8th, and the doctor wanted to uh, put me on restricted duty. Um, and I told him, no, I need to go back to the Capitol. I need to be able to do my job, and there are all the things that depending on, not only on, on me, but uh, but the I mean, on, on not depending on. I I, did, I wanted to be at work to do all the things to help secure the capital because there were reports yeah. of the member of the mob returning with firearms saying attacking the capital a second time. I just can't believe you worked all those days with all those injuries. Forgive me for saying, but I hope you at least put some viva poru or algo así, diantre. I don't yeah. mean to make a joke, yeah. pero please sigue. No, it is, it's, uh, it's uh, a lot of uh, cocktail, Tylenol, Adver, full of pain stuff. And you can read it all in my book, American Shield or School Americano. Uh, but in, in terms of um, what I did 
I, I, um, I did go to the capital. I did help secure the, 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 the complex. Um, in terms of writing the book, like you, you were asking, uh, it took me a lot. It took a lot because that it, it, you know, I was traumatized dealing with a lot of my PTSD as, as a former military member. Um, I came back from the uh, from the war in Iraq with PTSD. So not only was I dealing with those issues from the war, but it got re-aggravated. On top of I have another traumatic event um, to deal with, which complicated things. So I was really, really uh, in a dark place and, and very emotional. And if you watch my first interview, you could, you could see me all traumatized and, and very emotional on that. So not only, I, I didn't start writing the book until last year, um, early last year. So it took me almost two years to do, to do that. Um, was there a day that you woke up and said, it's time, it's time I, I journal or it's time that I write these thoughts down and share them with the world? What was that epiphany or was there an epiphany? There was no, uh, uh, um, no moment like that. It was just after I, on 2021, after I testified to uh, the January 6th committee uh, in July, uh, there was a lot of uh, right-wing personalities uh, from the far right uh, saying things about me, uh, whether I did or didn't do or who I am. So they put a narrative about who I was, but never came to talk to me about it, never came to me and asked me, how how did I what I do and things like that, so I wanted to. After talking to uh, several people, I wanted to to get the message straight. And and if if people are going to be talking about me, then I wanted to be my own story, my own uh, accord uh, of what happened, what I had done for this country. Because a lot of people were actually doing those things, and they never asked me. They never questioned me. They never interviewed me. So I want to get the story right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that process took a long time because it meant, it meant uh, along with Susan Shapiro, who she's my co-author, we had to uh, go back and do a lot of research. I have to go back and do a lot of research to know about my own history, about my own background. But also... Uh, reliving some of these uh, moments in time where I was traumatized, not only in the military, but also um, uh, as a police officer in January 6th. So it was it was very hard for me to do at first, but, you know, I knew just the way I saw it and I still see it is is no different than me testifying in court, in federal court, which I of, often do. Um, either by uh, providing my testimony, my impact statements, or actually uh, telling the judge what their uh, defendant uh, did to me. And so, so it's kind of like a continuation of my my service, uh, the way I look at it. And he had help too, because my psycho- psychiatrist also tells me the more you talk about it, um, the easier it gets to you. And to some point, it is. There are certain um, I I'm, I do get triggers uh, depending on who I'm talking to, what I'm talking about, and what moment in time of that day am I talking about. So, uh, but it's is a lot easier than on January six when it happened or January seven. So it's kind of like nine day different thing. So thank you for sharing that, Sergeant Aquilino. We often have authors and creators on this show. I myself, I'm a writer creator and like writing about trauma is really hard. Yeah. I can write a comedy sketch really <laughs> quickly about algo, yeah. tu sabes, like que no serio, algo ice cream, rainbows, <laughs> you know, a, a dog walker with 20 dogs, you know, yeah. like better to write about in my case I've written about pregnancy loss and miscarriage and infertility, mm-hmm. you know. And as a Latina, it's like, okay, okay yeah. what are you talking it's about? It's a taboo topic. Yeah, mira. But it's so therapeutic. Yeah. To your point, I have found, I wouldn't say I'm 
closure just yet. I am still unpacking after all these years. Yeah, people people process things differently. Uh, there are some, like in my case, there are officers that rather me not talk about it. There are officers that mm. tell me, hey, you know what? Mm. Thanks for speaking up for us. Mm. I feel like you're really speaking for me. Um, you know, everybody differently, mm. you know. Uh, but then you have some officers get upset because we get an award or certificate. I'm like, well, you had the same opportunity. You could come forward and talk about your trauma. You know, don't get upset at me for putting myself out there because you have to get not only you only seen the good thing about it. You don't see the bad thing when people accuse you of not doing your job, or accuse you of um, they threaten you, the people who um, make uh, stupid comments about you. Um, or completely attack your character for just simply doing your job and telling the truth of what you live. So it's not like I'm embellishing, embellishing what happened. It was just what happened You're to speaking me. Speaking your truth. Yeah, and 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 more than forty people attacked me that day. So I, I, you know, whether some people didn't do their job at the Capitol on any particular, or were less. Um, their actions were not, uh, you know, in a good way perceived that they were not doing the job, then that's on them. I know where I was, that 40 to 30 officers who were fighting in the tunnel, we did what we were supposed to. We did risk our lives. We did manage to keep the mob from coming in, especially hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were trying to get in, breach that entrance. Um, that entrance in the tunnel, so the most fearful, fear, fearful um, attack and, and fighting in the, of the whole day. Uh, and we didn't let nobody through there. It cost, almost cost me my life. Oh my it injured my, a lot of, it sustained a lot of injuries, and I was not the only one. But at least we did our job. And if you want to ridicule me for um, doing my job or, having an accent for because I know two languages and you only your dumb ass only knows one oh, oh. then that's that's on you mm. that's on you don't fault me for Dile. being smarter than you Dile. you know at least I understand two languages and I curse you out in the <laughs> in two languages instead of you and I don't know there's just something about Dominican cursing I really enjoy it you know how to curse like a Dominican maybe I can pen a book also <laughs> how to curse like a Dominican <laughs> Because really, it's it's amazing. Um, we're not going to go into it on this no, episode. No, I'm not going to do that. But, Pero ya tu sabes. Sí. Oh, oh. Eh, this book, American Shield, this has received praise from the likes of Nancy Pelosi, John Stewart, yeah. former guest of the Latinos Out Loud podcast, <laughs> Congressman Adriano Espaillat. We yep. love you. Ooh. Okay. Hey, tell us about American Shield, because this is a journey. This is an immigrant, a story of immigration, and this is a story of honor, valor, mm -hmm. and doing this for the United States of America. I'm not trying to be your publicist right now, okay? But maybe you could talk to us about like the book with your through your lens. Look, one of the things that I had to convey is that the book American Shield is, is not just about January 6th. It's about the typical immigrant story of a Dominican person who comes here to this country and persevere um, despite the lack of uh, uh, language, I, I, the, uh, the adaptation to this country, the assimilation, the struggle in high school, the struggle with the family uh, relationship, both with my mom and my dad. Then you have crime in the in, in, in in the area, in the hood where I grew up, um, in, in Crown Heights at that time in 92. Brooklyn. <laughs> in, in 92, when I first came in, there was a lot of crime, so a lot of the influence that could have had taken me, my life, in a different uh, direction if I didn't choose the right ways. Um, and not only did I overcome a lot of those challenges and, and obstacles and adversities, but then I also better myself by uh, getting an education, um, joining the military. In order for me to continue my education, then I needed to join the military as a way to help me pay uh, for my school. Uh, when I did that, two years later, then 9-11 happened. I find myself 
working as a security guard near the Ground Zero site. Wow. Then um, once I realized that I could do a lot more, more, then I I decided to apply for different uh, police department through here in New York and throughout the area, uh, nor- uh, Northeast area. And it took me to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because after I went to Iraq and came back, um, I, I spent a year in Iraq, uh, deploy, um, you know, because I was sent. So when I came back, I finished my education uh, in college, and I told my my cousin, who was a police officer in Baltimore, hey, um, how's that policing over there? I'm looking for a job. And he's like, but I thought you applied for several uh, departments um, before you left to Iraq. And I'm like, I don't remember that. You know, I'm dealing with PTSD and all that stuff. And he told me, well, you, I think you did because you did tell me. So I, I ended up calling Capitol Police first because it was two different agencies. One is for uh, the Capitol, which is federal, and the other one is uh, Metropolitan Police, uh, the city. Mm-hmm. So I called them, and he's like, yeah, by the way, yes, you did take the test, and you pass it. Mm-hmm. We're just going to send you a new package so you can update your information, and we see you here in two weeks. And wow. uh, I just pack and go. Uh, wow. I, I left everything behind, family, relationships, because um, I also needed... Uh, my own space I needed. There was a lot of things happening, uh, which I detail in in, in very discredited in American Shield. Um, that I thought if I would have stayed here, I would have had a harder time adjusting, but also um, uh, it would have taken me a different route uh, in my life. And unfortunately, uh, I ended up in uh, the capital, uh, working with them. I has spent 17 years. Uh, I spent 17 years uh, work being a police officer where I have met dignitary presidents, uh, celebrities, uh, justices uh, um, from the Supreme Court. So there's a lot of things that I I done uh, and did, and um, I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, I also survived the insurrection, so... So a lot of a lot of things that happen, good things and bad things. Um, I just hope that people find it interesting enough to to read the book American Shield. So. Yeah, let's talk about your background a little bit. So sure. mentioned Dominicano, sí, platanero, <laughs> and then landed in Brooklyn. Yeah. I'm from Brooklyn, yeah. so you know what I'm saying. I'm so proud yeah. to hear that. Yes, yes. Pero yo estoy del otro lado. Eh, de, <laughs> yo soy del otro lado de Sheepshead Bay. But yeah, Dominican, still Dominican. Yeah, we got the connection, you know. Caloque, caloque, you know. Desde aquí, desde allá. I do. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about this a little bit about this story of immigration and do you have law enforcement in your family? Like, yeah, I'm the first one, the first one. So about your family and how they got here. Um, my dad, he um, in nineteen. 87, I think he began the process of uh, petition for us to come here, and he finally came through in 1992. Uh, he'd been here for, I think, since 1981 or 83. So it was a long process. Um, he first came by himself, was a cab driver, um, you know, and through his savings, he, he decided that he wanted us here. Like a real cab driver, not yeah. like un Uber. No, un no. cab driver, 74, 74, la base, la base, yeah. la base, la base. Exacto. Yeah, Exacto. okay, got it. Exacto. Shout out to the real <laughs> cab drivers. Yep, yeah. You know, you're talking, sí, sí. you're talking about like 20, 25, almost 30 years ago. Sí, so. los carros negros, sí. Um, but he, with his effort and sacrifice, he managed to, to bring us over. Um, it was hard because... Uh, Two weeks after I arrived here, he got um, shot in the, in the arm. Um, and then two years later, then he gets stabbed oh as a car driver. So there's a lot of things, like again, that I describe in, in the book American Shield that uh, my adjustment and assimilation to this country was very hard. The first few years, uh, it was, um, it, I dealt with 
my relationship with him, trying to, because I didn't know him. Uh, he he been uh, out of my life uh, a lot a lot of the years that I know him, and that was kind of like us trying to get to know each other and all this thing. Every single time we we kind of like had a moment that we felt comfortable in in getting something always happened um, that did, uh, prevented us from continuing that relationship. And, you know, it got to a point that I wanted to go back to the Mecca Republic and stay there. Um, had it not be because of a conversation that I had with my grandfather uh, at length about all the things that was happening. I, w- I was struggling in high school uh, with the language. Where did you go to high school? Wingate High School. Oh, I would, why did I think <laughs> Wingate? Church Avenue. Eh. Oh, see. Yeah. So it's, it's in... Mind you, that was not supposed to be my school because I, but because the language barrier, they assigned me to that. Because um, they had the There was a lot of Dominicans that went to yeah. Wingate. It was Church Avenue, right? Am I mistaken? Uh, close, close. Church yeah, Avenue. Like, uh, I don't remember the, the address on top of my head, but it's, it's very close there. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. like Flatbush. Yeah, Flatbush. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, you know, that was one of the schools that had uh, bilingual studies. Uh, and so they, Ship me there. I'm like, okay, whatever. I, I, it was a lot of gun, gun violence, and uh, uh, it's only one Dominican, uh, one other person that had the same name as me, and they there was a shooting. They thought it was me uh, that that did it. And I'm like, oh fucking, you know, I, I didn't do. How what were you to my own In girlfriend? High yeah, yeah. Recién llegado. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it's a lot of things. My so talking to my grandfather uh, about all these things that were happening to me, the, my trouble assimilating to this country, then he kind of like make, made me promise him that I would give it another try. And that's how I ended up being back here in the United States because I, I bought a, a plane ticket with my mom and I was, wasn't planning to return. I took all my stuff. And, you know, back then we had we were allowed to bring in on on the plane about four bags and oh see not the not the not the nada you know you know so now they barely won <laughs> once yep. you know but I and took, you got to pay for the barely one yeah yep so I took three three big uh, eso, barril no 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 maleta no. la maleta grande se parecía en barriles ajá ajá los cerones que usan los dominicanos para sí, traer todas las cosas sí. la ropa la comida sí. de todo ajá entonces yo llevé como como tres tres cosas eso y me tocó my stuff tocó wow. my stuff and I my mom didn't know um, that I was planning to stay only I talked to my grandfather and he's like no you need to go back and uh, take advantage of the sacrifices that your dad did. Uh, he never went to 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 college or high school. Uh, you had the opportunity to have a better life because my grandfather he was from the uh, agricultural uh, town of Los Limones, like what you're being, which is a rural area, um, poor people. Um, Give me a geographic location in the country because I'm not familiar. That's with that. uh, near Mon- Monte Cristi, Guayubin. Um, Villa Lisa. Okay. So around those the, the coastal area. Okay. Um, and it, it's a small town with uh, 300, uh, 400 people. Uh, now, uh, a lot of the youth people, they have moved out because there's hardly anything to do there. Mm. Um, there's, there's, there's not a lot of opportunities other than working the field. And that's what I wanted to return because I was happy. I was. I didn't need to learn English. I didn't needed to be dealing with the snow and dealing with my teachers who never were willing to assist me or they had many other students that needed help and couldn't do one-on-one. So it's a lot of things that are happening, uh, as I described in American Shield. And uh, I did return. Um, you know, it took me a while to adjust again, but I made the commitment to reorient myself and, and, and do what I was supposed to do. I learned the language the best I could. Uh, I put a lot more effort into it. Um, it I graduated in 98. It took me longer than 
<laughs> you know, than the four. I did it, but um, in one thing that was not in the car was paying for college <laughs> mm-hmm. because I didn't have uh, the means to, so I joined the military. Uh, and that's what helped me um, advance my studies. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point in the show, uh, Sergeant Aquilino, I would love and we would be honored if you would read us an excerpt from American Shield. It's really a pleasure to have an author on the show. Um, Shout out to everybody at Random House, right? At Penguin Random House. Um, This is exciting to hear Aquilino's story. And he's here live and he's going to share with us. This is quite the performance, LOLeros. I I feel like I should, I don't know, hold my flag up or put my hand over my heart. Um, But this is really momentous for us here on the Latinos Out Loud podcast. So I'm filled with anticipation. (laughs) Well, I'm going to read you... um Part of the prologue, so it's and forgive me with my accent, like uh, it's lovely. Like Celia Cruz said one day, my English is not very good looking. <laughs> so deal with it. I think it's great. This um, is this is authenticity here at Latinos <laughs> Out Loud. Okay, okay. okay. Um, never tell lies. The last thing I ever wanted wanted to be was a troublemaker. As I grew up in the Dominican Republic, my grandparents taught me to keep quiet. With no dad around, I listened when my abuelo bienvenido, my mom's father, told me, speak only when you are spoken to. He had 13 kids and eight grandkids. I wasn't his favorite. To win him over, I said, si, senor, and fed all the animals on the fruit on his fruit and vegetable farm where we live. Mom was a maid at a well-off family, then saw frituras on the street. I carried wood to the fire pit and babysat my brother and sister. All I ever, all I ever hoped to be was useful and someone who made my family proud. Never t- tell lies, said my grandfather Fijo. Although he has seven kids and four grandkids, he treated me special, and I saw his wife. When I was 10, Grandma Andrea told a neighbor, we had no food to sell today. Knowing we did, I said, yes, we do. She smacked me right in my mouth, snapping. Shut up. Nobody's speaking to you. Later, she yelled. She owes money. Don't contradict me. If you are not asked, keep your mouth closed. Lesson learned. Let the other do the talking. Although my folks separated weeks after my birth and dad wasn't around my sh- for my sh- childhood, he resurfaced when I was 12. He, won- he wanted us to be a family again and pay for mom, my brother, Tony, and me to join him in Brooklyn. I walked. I was excited to live with both my parents and move to the States. But it wasn't easy as I expected. Dad was a cab driver, busy working all the time. I helped out as a stock boy at a bodega and saw mom's food door to door. I gave my parents most of the cash that I made, though not all. One morning, seeing my flashy new Nikes, Dad asked, why you spend so much on that crap? What was wrong with the shoes that I got you from Payless? I felt ashamed. First rule from my father, be modest and blend in. That was hard without speaking the language in America. My accent was heavy. It still is. I struggled pronouncing V as a B, saying very instead of very. My teacher wasn't sim- my teachers wasn't sympathetic. Once, when I asked her to repeat a word I missed, she gave me det- detention for being disrupted. I did I didn't want to disrupt anyone, so I stopped raising my hand. As a minority student and an immigrant, I couldn't risk calling attention to myself. I lived with the constant fear for- that something I did would get us de- deported. Staying seen but hurt 
same thing, but not her, proved to be a good strategy. I became the first in my family to graduate high school. To afford college, I enlisted in the Army, a team player. I salute and obey the chain of command, waiting for permission to speak. I follow orders, replying, yes, sir, when told to serve food at a child hall and clean the barracks. My efforts kept paying off. I was honored to be a U.S. to become a U.S. citizen and continue my service. The military was a perfect training for joining the Capitol Police in Washington, D.C. For 16 years, I ordered to check ID. I checked. I sent guard. I sent to guard dignitary arrivals. I got it. I was cautious and careful as I move up the rank, really challenging the high-ups. Though the police union nationwide endorsed Donald Trump, I was stunned to hear him call black nations, shitholes countries, and Mexican immigrants, criminal, drug dealers, and rapists. Trump doesn't mean what he says, a white supervisor said. He's just joking. Trump didn't have my vote, but I kept my views to myself, reminding my squad, we protect everyone equally. When he won the presidency, I worry. Traveling with my young son, whose English was better than mine, I noticed condescending stares, as if a stranger found me less American for speaking Spanish, or the wrong kind of foreigners, unlike Melania Trump's wife. Unlike Melania Trump, white Slovenian parents who were naturalized through the kind of chain migration her husband vehemently denounce. Still, I so, st- I stay so do. If someone confronted me, I would say I was a veteran and show my police badge to avoid a fight. Silence, the blueprint I re- would rely on, became impossible on January 6, 2021. On that day, I was attacked while defending the Capitol against an invasion by tens of thousands of barbaric mob of rioters, incited by the pre- by President Trump. Swarms of assailants beat me and my colleagues with pole, poles, sticks, broken pipes, and pieces of furniture. I was It was worse than the combat I was seeing in Iraq, holding the police line through hours of torture, bloody, form, bloody from fending off multiple rioters. I was called un-American, and a traitor who broke his oath and deserved to be executed, trampled from both sides, I thought, this is how I'm going to die. Thank you. Thank you, Sergeant Aquilino. I'm uh, so moved. the story, oof, I just have a like a knot in my throat, and as host of this show, I, I try to not make that knot appear. Thank you for sharing. Um, although what you experienced was unique, this story of immigration, of coming here, seeking a better life, we know this so well. Yeah. It's so relatable. Yeah. And that's why I decided to write the book. Again, the the book is not just about January six. It has multiple faces. Yeah. Um, it's very emotional. Yeah. Um, I they asked me to read it for the boys uh, version, and I I I couldn't. I I always chucked up. Yeah. Um, because I was still dealing with my PTSD. I'm still him. And the what makes it incredible, incredibly frustrating and is the betrayal from the elected officials, the same elected officials who I risked my life on January 6th, the same people who are running for their life with the time that I and my colleagues gave them to 
escape. Now they calling those people that were attacking the police officers, the same people who were hunting them down room by room to them and their colleagues, attacking the capital, attacking our seat of democracy. And now they call them hostages. They call them patriots, um, political prisoners. That's hard. That's hard to hear when you put your life on the line. Mm-hmm. It's hard when they don't even acknowledge that something bad happened. It's hard when they tell people, I'm supporting the president, the former president, the same guy who sent the mob to kill them. And they are making him the candidate. They're making him the leading candidate could potentially get back in office. And if he did those things, when he had the adults in the room, the guardrails, you know, um, he he's not thinking about the safety or the better of this country. He 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 wants retribution. He he's telling us yeah. what he's going to do. He's not a, a matter of well, once he gets in office, he he won't be that way because he's telling us right now in the campaign trail how he his second term is going to be. And I don't know, maybe I'm going to be his, on his list of people. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, nevertheless, I continue to be outspoken. I continue to do my job, uh, uh, you know, giving testimony to the court. Um, I have more cases pending of the people who assaulted me. Uh, so that's not going to deter me from doing those things. Um, I think uh, people who watched it, on TV, already on the magazines or newspapers or on their phone. They just watched it. I lived it. I survived it. Um, so for me, it's different um, in a way. For for those political um, officials, it was three hours, four hours a day for us, the officers who had to deal with the ramification because of injuries, physical, mental, and moral, is ongoing. Every single time they use those connotations to describe or downplay what happened, it is triggering our injuries and makes it harder for the officer who actually did the job, staying in, on the job. Because a lot of a lot of them they have left, they retired, or oh, a lot of them they don't want to be a police officer anymore. Because why would I? In my case, why would I continue doing the job if you're not going to appreciate what I did? And mind you, that's my job. I, I understand that. I read this. I I, I read the the fine print. They said you may lose your life, mm-hmm. but when the people who are risking my life for I protected. Now they're telling me that it wasn't worth it because these were my friends. These were my supporters. Why would I continue that? And if there is another January 6th or any other threat and I were there, that's a police officer, which I'm not, but if I were there, that would put me in a in a tough spot yeah. because I need to make a split decision, uh, second decision and not only do I have to worry about the mob in front of me, but now I have to worry about the elected officials behind me? Yikes. Yeah. Are they going to help me secure the capital or are they going to try to restrain me from to do my job yeah. and then let their friends? And, you know, that's, that's a tough... All these thoughts that you're sharing with And us. people need to understand that. That's yeah. exactly what the officers who were and the capital for since January 6th, we have been thinking about it. You know, you have elected officials like Lindsey Graham, uh, Josh Hawley, Marjorie Taylor Green, Bober, Clyde, uh, Andrew Clyde. So oh, this these right-wing side of stream, you know, they don't think, think about the consequences of, of mm-hmm. 
their rhetoric. Um, they think that it, whatever they say about threats or creating a threat, they think that th those people that come to the Capitol to do damage, they're only going to seek for the Democrat. And those people, they, they, don't, they don't care what you look like or they don't care when they fire a gun, that bullet is going to go through whoever's in front of them, not just, not just, in, uh, or, or the threats is going to materialize and it's going to be too late because people like that, they don't think about whether you are their member or not, whether you're gay, straight, white, black, don't care, just like a bullet. Yeah. You know, all they see is a target and, well, and they're going to act on it. And like, people need to realize that. So much for inviting us into your thought process. This book is now available, American Shield, and both in English in and Spanish, Spanish. Which I helped translate myself. Really? Yeah. That's so great. So this is really your baby. This is a project that yeah. I see you're so passionate about. Congratulations. Sergeant Aquilino, thank you for coming on this show and for just, again, being so open with us thank and you. inviting us into your world. Thank you. And I'm going to uh, end up with a positive note. Um, I think uh, it's my opinion that had it not be because of the things that I did on January 6th, we probably wouldn't have a country, uh, a democ democracy in this country. Uh, not only because of what I did, but my colleagues as well. But as a result of those efforts, uh, as small as I think they are, uh, what I did, um, I I couldn't help but to let you know that because of what I did on January 6th, my wife, she became a uh, U.S. citizen uh, a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. Um, and I think, <laughs> so I think now she's going to be able to vote. Um, and, um, and, and and it doesn't go unnoticed that it would, without, if January 6th would ha happen, uh, uh, or had a different result, I don't think she will have been able to. So. That's lovely. And I hope yeah. to see these images of you being invited to the White House time and time again <laughs> and you. receiving all of your flowers Thank and you. awards. You Thank deserve all of them and more. Well, what, the last time uh, that I was there at the Capitol, uh, Joe Biden had a little trouble. I don't know if you noticed, uh, saying Aquilino. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I corrected him because he was like, Aki, Aki. And like, I'm glad you know your name, buddy. <laughs> and um, and then he, he he made fun of himself. And like, now you could call me Biden instead of Biden. <laughs> so I was kind of like a little levity. I mean, you're joking with the president <laughs> yeah. of the United States, yeah. Sergeant Aquilino. And, and last week during his speech, uh, he quoted me from the book as well, too, when I describe... Um, uh, the medieval bottle. That's he's talking actually talking about me. Oh I, my goodness! And that's part really? of, and that's part of the, the uh, my congressional testimony that I did, and he had used that a couple of times. Uh, I was surprised last week when he actually said it again. Well, he talking about me. Look so, a hey, Dominican impact. from from El Campo. Yeah, yeah, you know. So I, making impact here yeah, yeah. for us, yeah. for I, your family. I, I hope people. Buy the book, American Shield. Please review it. Uh, it's a positive uh, influence not only for, um, and it's a model for other people to emu emulate as well. It's so. great. And Elueleros, if you're like me, you love pictures in a book, okay? There mm. are pictures. I think that's a bonus in any book. I mean, there's words and visuals. And some of them are visual, I will say. I'm going to tease it by saying that. Um, please, please. Let's support this man. Thank you for everything. Thank you for coming on the show and for your service to this country. It's really nice to see you here, alive, healthy. And thank you. Again, this is a gift. This is such a gift for us, readers. So let's check it out. Eloeleros, this has been another amazing episode of Latinos Out Loud. Forgive me for getting a little emotional there. It's been a minute since I let one slip out of the tear duct, but it worked its way down my cheek, but with good reason. This was a this was a moving experience for me, and I hope it was for you too. There I go again. I feel the tear ducts wilding out. They're acting up. Okay, 
Come on, girl from Brooklyn. Let's go. All right. This has been another great episode. Eloeleros, thank you so much. Give us a call. No big whoop. 978-LATINOS is the number. Be sure to follow us at We Are Latinos Out Loud. You can follow me at Rachel La Loca, R-A-C-H-E-L-A Loca. Ya tu sabe, okay? Anyway, thank you so much. Happy New Year. I think we can still say that. On that note, we out. It's the Latinos Out Loud podcast. Oh!